Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 83 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible questions are, what is the church? Is it a building? Can we go to church? Are there sacred buildings? I guess that's a lot of questions, but we're going to boil it all down into one question. So happy Lord's Day to you, dear friends. Today is shelter-in-place day number four for all of us Californians on the West Coast. Yippee! I want to remind you that if you are also sheltering in place, your flesh may be locked down, so to speak. But we are people of the Spirit of God. That means we are not fully locked down. Uh, The body, they may shut in house, but our spirit is unshuttable, unquarantinable. The body of Christ is not stymied by this because the word of God is not muffled and neither the head of the church, Jesus, nor the Holy Spirit are under any sort of restrictions whatsoever. God reigns supreme now and you and I, we're his people. I'd like to invite you to join our church today for its worship, prayer, and word live stream Sunday morning. If you're hearing this in on time at 11 a.m. Pacific time. If you are, go join us at facebook.com slash VBC Salinas. That's the letters VBC Salinas. Or you can just look me up on Facebook. I'm Chase A. Thompson there. Today's Bible passages include Exodus 33, Proverbs 9, John 12, and Ephesians chapter 2. And our focus passage is Ephesians 2. We're talking about what the church is from that passage. As a reminder, our podcasts on Sunday are usually the shortest of all for several reasons. Number one, I don't want to take away at all from your local church celebration of the Lord's Day. And also because I myself am a pastor and my focus on Saturday is usually mostly going to be on preparing for our own church gathering. So it's great for you if you're one of those that like a shorter podcast, but don't worry if you like the longer winded ones, usually the Monday podcast can get a little lengthy. So the book of Ephesians, though short, has some of the deepest insights into the church, the body of Christ, in the entire Bible. Yesterday's Ephesians 1 passage began the discussion about the ver- uh, about the church in the last few verses. Verse 20 says, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in in the one to come, and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So we learn from that passage that the church is something that is born out of the resurrection of Jesus and that Jesus himself is the head of the church which is an interesting phrase because we learn that the church is in some way, that's not very clear yet, the body of Jesus. Now we're going to learn even more about the church in Ephesians chapter 2. So let's read it together. Verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedience. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display 
the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So then remember that at one time you were who were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ." For he is our peace, who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands, and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building, being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Now this is profound. We learn here that the church is not a building, not a service, but a people. A people in which the Spirit of God lives in them. What kind of people is the church? Well, we're not strangers or foreigners to each other. We're much more than that. In fact, we find out we're members of God's family, God's household. We're family members. Some of us are lonely, I suppose. And if you are, I've got good news. If you're in Christ, your loneliness is temporary. You have a beautiful eternal family that you will spend your eternity with. Some of us have had bad families and bad fathers. I'm for you. I don't want to gloss over that. That's a horrifying reality for some of you, but I do have good news. This family, the family of Jesus, has a wonderful father and an incredible head in Jesus, and your eternal brothers and sisters are going to be made wonderful, pre- precious, and not the least bit annoying, ultimately, by the sanctification of Jesus. In many places around the world right now, the church is not able to gather physically because of the current pandemic situation. This is a tragedy in that we miss seeing the church, which is the people. The building is nothing more than just a building. Bricks, stones, wood, concrete, desks, chairs, floor, carpeting, whatever. It's useful to have, but it's not the church, according to Ephesians 2. I love how Charles Spurgeon expounds on this passage and that principle in one of his sermons. And he says... Remember again the saying of the Apostle Paul at Athens, God that made the world and all things in the world, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made with hands. 
When men talk of holy places, they seem to be ignorant of the use of that language. Can holiness dwell in bricks and mortar? Can there be such a thing as a sanctified steeple? Can it possibly happen that there can be such a thing in the world as a moral window or a godly doorpost? I'm lost in amazement, says Spurgeon, utterly lost when I think of how addled men's brain must be when they impute moral virtues to bricks and mortar and stones and stained glass. I wonder how deep this consecration goes and how high is every crow that flies over the edifice at that time in solemn air? Certainly it is as rational to believe that as to conceive that every worm that is eating the body of an Episcopalian in the graveyard is a consecrated worm, and therefore there must necessarily be a brick wall or a wide gravel path to protect the bodies of the sanctified from any unhallowed worms that might creep across from the dissenter side of the cemetery. I say again, such child's play, such popery, such Judaism is a disgrace. And yet, notwithstanding, we all find ourselves at different times in different seasons indulging in it. That at which you have just now smiled is but pushing the matter a little further, an error into which we all may very readily descend. It is but an extravaganza of an error into which we all of us are likely at some point to fall. We have a reverence for our plain chapels. We feel a kind of comfort when we are sitting down in the place which somehow or other we have got to think must be holy. Now let us, if we can, and perhaps it takes a great sturdiness and independence of mind to do it, let us drive away once and forever all idea of holiness being connected with anything but a conscious active agent. Let us get rid once and for all of all superstitions with regard to a place or building. Depend on this. One place is as much consecrated, says Spurgeon, as another. And wherever we meet with true hearts reverently to worship God, that place becomes for the time being God's house. Though it be regarded with the most religious awe, that place which has no devout heart within it is no house of God. It may be a house of superstition, but a house of God it cannot be. But still, says one, God has a habitation. Does not your Bible say so? Yes, and of that house of God I'm going to speak this morning, says Spurgeon. There is such a thing as a house of God, but it's not an inanimate structure or a building, but a living and spiritual temple in whom, that is Christ, you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. The house of God is built with the living stones of converted men and women. And the church of God, which Christ hath purchased with his blood, this is the divine edifice and the structure wherein God dwells even to this day. So brothers and sisters, let us remember in the new covenant era, The church is not a tabernacle. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not a time. We don't go to church tomorrow at 1030. Um, Even if the pandemic wasn't on, we wouldn't go to church tomorrow at 1030. The church is a people. We are the church. The church is the dwelling place of, of God. It is the household and family of God. You and I, if we be followers of Jesus, we are the church. Let's go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, 
Go up from here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your offspring. I will send an angel ahead of you and will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hethites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned and didn't put on their jewelry. For the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I went up with you for a single moment, I would destroy you. Now take off your jewelry and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites remained stripped of their jewelry from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses took a tent and pinched it out, pitched it outside the camp, at a distance from the camp. He called it the Tent of Meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the Tent of Meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of God, of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship each one at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find favor with you. Now, consider, this nation is your people. And he replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Please let me see your glory, he said. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, Here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 1 Wisdom has built her house, she has carved out her seven pillars, she has prepared her meat, she has mixed her wine, she has also sat her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. 
Rebuke the wise, and he will love you. Instruct the wise, and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and he will learn more. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for your own benefit. If you mock, you alone bear the consequences." Folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. The one who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Then a large crowd of the Jews learned he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they had heard he had done the sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and died, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servants also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, This voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. The crowd replied to him, We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Well, friends, may the word of God be a comfort to you in these troubled times. May it build you up. May it encourage you and me. And may it spur us on towards love and good deeds. God bless you and Godspeed.